All right, so we're going to uh, do a review today of the introduction of Nehemiah and Lesson 1. And I'm going to try to add a little bit to what we've already seen and just kind of reveal a little more of what God has revealed to me in the last couple of days or week and help me see things in this book a little different perspective than, than what I had seen. So uh, let's kind of just kind of go through the introduction uh, and uh, lesson number one. And I'm going to kind of go through these pretty quick because you've got the handouts. We've already been through them. And so there are three historical books in the Old Testament that deal with Israel after the exile to Babylon. Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. So both Ezra and Nehemiah deal with what happened to the Jews who went back to Israel. And Esther has to do with the Jews that stayed in Babylon and Persia. Okay, And there are three prophetical books that deal with Israel after the return of Babylon where God raised up three prophets to reveal his words. And they are Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Okay, so let me jump through a couple of things here. And the book of Ezra shows us God's restoration of the nation of Israel. The book of Nehemiah shows us God's reconstruction of the nation of Israel. And the book of Esther shows us God's preservation of the nation of Israel. When you put those all together and kind of look at it from a, from a top perspective. And so in the book of Ezra, uh, uh, number one up there, it says the return had been foretold by God to be after 70 years. And we went through that. God had already foretold them. He goes, guys, I'm giving you guys a time out. And the time out is going to be out of, out of Israel into a foreign land. But you know, when my time out is over 70 years, I'm going to allow you to come back. Okay. And so the return was under Cyrus as already prophesied. Everything lines up with what God had said. Number three, it says the first remnant came back under Zerubbabel and Ezra chapters one through six. The second remnant was under Ezra. And I went through the time with that. And then the next group comes back. And it's not a really big group that comes back with Nehemiah. And yet, I think it takes all three of those guys to get things back on track the way they need to be. And it was during a period of time. And that's what God's kind of showed me that, uh, you know, when, when uh, Zerubbabel came back, he didn't get everything back the way God wanted it. Ezra came back and he put more stuff together, but it still wasn't where God wanted it. And then he brings Nehemiah in. And Nehemiah just starts putting the whole thing together the way it should have been. And so Nehemiah is like, he's, he's like top of my list, man. He's, he's the man. Cause God used him specifically. And so in the book of Nehemiah, it's just gonna kind of go through the rest of the page one there. It says the date written around 432 BC. And there were two times that Nehemiah went to Jerusalem. We're gonna see that in the book. Cause he was the king's cupbearer. And not only was, you know, that, he just didn't give the king his wine and check his food. He was like in his cabinet. He was like in a top advisor. And when the king talks to him, he's like, okay, so what do you want to do? And, and we find out Nehemiah has a plan and the king's like, he lets him do it. So he has a relationship with the king, kind of like, um, Mordecai did back in Esther. You know, after a while he got to the point where the king's like, wow, this this dude Mordecai is really my friend. He, he's helped me out. He's, he's kept people from killing me. And then his, his uh, what was Esther? His cousin, right? And cousin 
uh, Esther became the queen, and so it just kind of tied that all together. And we're going to see a little bit, maybe, of that relationship pop up in here today as we go through it. But um, so anyway, he's a top guy. I mean, and God uses him. He put him in that spot for a reason. Which makes makes me think, you know, sometimes we think, okay, what can I do for God? I'm just little old me, you know, and live here in Harrisonville or wherever you live. And what can God do with me? Well, you know what? God has put us here, each one of us here for a specific reason. And probably a lot of different specific reasons to help further his kingdom here. Okay? So historically, when we look at the book of Nehemiah, everybody looks at it and go, oh yeah, I've read that book. It's all about the rebuilding of the wall. And I want to say, if that's your, if that's our approach, and that's just kind of what I used to think, if that's our approach, we're not all there. Okay? Of course, you guys look at me and you go, yeah, I know you got problems, you're not quite all there. But I mean, no, that's, that's what everybody says. So the book of Nehemiah is the rebuilding of the wall, and I'm like, we're going to find out it's a lot more than the rebuilding of the wall. How many of you have ever done a, a remodeling project, and you go, oh yeah, I got this down. I just need to do this, I need to do that. I need to, I got like three things I got to do, and it'll be done. Well, after 12 things and tw- three times more money and time- five times more time, you may get done with it. That's kind of how it is with, with, with a Nehemiah. We think, oh, okay, we got this down. It's, it's, uh, he rebuilt the wall. Uh, let's read the book and find out how much more. But it's a lot more than that. So doctrinally, God puts his people at the right place at the right time. How many of you believe that? Okay. Inspirationally, now what can we get out of this? Because you got the people go, oh, that's Old Testament. Doesn't mean anything to me. It's two Jewish people. I'm a Christian. Doesn't make any difference. Yeah, it does. Because we can glean the, the learning from that, right? We are to learn from the Old Testament. So it does apply to us in a way. So how, how, how can we, what can we learn from that? Basically, how to build the church in the Laodicean church age. And I'll go farther. How to build your life. In the latest scene, church period. You first become a Christian, you first start following the Lord, and then you go, after a while, it's like, man, I got this down. You know, I gotta do is read my Bible, pray, come to church, get involved, and then it just snowballs from there. You know? It's like, no, God wants you way more than that. So, how to build your life in Christ. If we look at all the things that, that Nehemiah starts to put back together, and we look at what he does, it's like, you know what? He's building something. It's more than a wall. He's building something else. And uh, in our life, how do we build our life for Christ? How do, what do we do? Read the book of Nehemiah. And then Christ is typified as our rebuilder. Well, we need a rebuilder to build our life up because our life was a mess before we got saved. So page 2. Nehemiah and the Jerusalem Project, chapter 1, 1 through 11. And... Uh, uh, just forgive me, but I am going to kind of go through this just so we get done, so I can get catch back up where we need to be. I wanted to read the whole chapter of one, but I, I don't think I'll do that. Uh, so we see in chapter one the situations presented, uh, the time period, the people involved, and the pronouncements made, and then we saw Nehemiah's response number two. Remember I talked about, you know, Nehemiah is the cupbearer, so he's he's in the inner court of of the of the king and Persia is in his basically in his palace and he's he's right up there with the king and uh he has a response when he hears his brother Hanani come and give a report what's going on in Jerusalem and it just breaks him up 
I mean, it's just like, really? That's the condition it is? And Nehemiah is, is he's a, he's a rebuilder. He's a builder. He's a, he's a mover and shaker. And he sees something and he goes, you know what? I can make this better. How many of you guys are like that? You see something and you go, you know what? I can, I can, I can put some time in this and make it better. It could be a house. It could be a car. It could be a dinner. I mean, it could be any of those things. But I'm kind of like that. I see some, a situation and I'm like, man, I think I, I can, I can make this a better deal here. And that's what Nehemiah does. He's like, there is something there and God just stirred in his heart and it's just, man, he's like, not only do I see something I can make better, I believe God wants me to do it. And I'm going to go headlong into this. And that's what we saw with Nehemiah. And he, he heard the response and he sat and he wept and he mourned for certain days and he fasted and he prayed. And the details of his prayer was he admits who God is under A on, on page 2 of, of uh, your first handout. And he admits God's characteristics. He asks God to listen to him and to look on his prayer. And he admits the Jewish sins and he includes himself. You know, he's kind of like... Uh, Daniel did the same thing. Some of these other uh, prophets, not only would they proclaim what was going on, they would say, hey, and, you know what, and I'm in this, I'm in the same boat. And I'm like, so he, he admits that. And he asks the Jews sin, and he admits the Jews sins, and he includes himself, and he asks God to remember God's promises, and he asks for mercy. And I asked the question that first week, was his prayer answered in chapter one? And my, my response that I wanted, was no. But you know what? I looked at that again. And I'm like, yeah, it was. Because he asked for mercy. And God was giving it to him. He just hadn't given it to him yet. The response was already there. When he asked God this prayer, that prayer was as good as done. It just hadn't been performed. Now think about that. When we ask God something, and it's in God's will, in God's mind, He's he, He's going to do it. He's already got it set, and all we, all we got to do is wait for it to happen. Now, I, I'm not for just wishful thinking, but when you pray what God wants done, He's going to do it, and you, you just we just have to kind of okay, let's watch this. I think we have to remember that God's time is not our time, and that to me is the most important thing to remember. God's going to do it when He's going to do it in His time. Because it'll be the perfect time. But my time is not perfect. Right. So, you're right. And so, I think Nehemiah, when he prayed this, I think God was already on it. As soon as he prayed it, he's, God's like, yeah, I'm going to give it to you. Okay? And so, his answer, his prayer is answered, so we have to kind of see how that's going to fall out. And we'll, we'll do that in, in the rest of the week. But my question again, and what kept hitting me was going through this uh, book, was why was Nehemiah so moved and hearing about the condition of Jerusalem. I mean, do you think that... Uh, now, he's he's known for going back to rebuild the walls, correct? So do you think when when, when Hanani, his brother, came... And it was his actual brother, and we studied it out. So he knew his brother had been to Jerusalem, and he comes back, and he tells the truth. And I mean, so he's, he's all hung up on this. And do you think that Nehemiah's like, oh, man... I can't believe the walls are still tore down. Man, I gotta go fix those walls. Well, kinda, but I don't think that was his main purpose. And then he thought, okay, well, what about the temple? Maybe the temple wasn't put correctly, you know? And so maybe, I mean, maybe Nehemiah is, you know, a builder. Uh, 
and I'm sure that had something to do with it. Maybe he thought, you know what? Solomon's temple was the most beautiful temple in the world, man. We got to put it back the way that it was. Do you think? He, I don't know. I don't think so. I'm just going to say, do you think maybe he was thinking, oh, I am ashamed that we, the Jews, have let things be this way in Jerusalem and the temple's the way it is? I mean, it doesn't show that our God is our God. I mean, that God is who he says he is. If we keep things like that, well, oh, your God didn't do anything. Yeah. Well, I, I now this, this is my personal opinion here, so I can't just push this out. I think he probably, number one, realized, man, the city is in disrepair. It should not be that way. The walls are, are still broken down. It should not be that way. You know, the temple and the houses are not where they need to be. But I think it went deeper than that. I think he looked at all that and he goes, you know what, not only that, the condition of the people, the worship, the whole economy was not where it needed to be. And, and so let me just stop for a minute and, and describe what I mean by that. When God brought Joshua into the promised land and they conquered all the people that was there and they set up the houses and the cities and, and God had, had it all planned out. He put certain cities on both sides of the river Jordan. He had refuge cities that in case, you know, you accidentally murdered some, or not murdered, but killed somebody in an accident, you'd run to this particular city and wait to the end of the the, the priest. When that priest died, then you was allowed to go. But had all these laws. In other words, gave them the law. Set up the priest. Set up the temple. Set up the Levites. Set up every... In other words, God had the whole economy planned. It was the whole economy. And it was from from the spiritual to a physical to a economical. God had it all planned out for the nation. And if they would just follow that, things would have went well for them. Okay? But yet, they couldn't do it. And yet... I think that's probably what Nehemiah's like. You know what? God had intended Israel to be like this, and it's still fallen down, still in ruins, still in shambles, and I want to see if I can help fix it. That's what I'm thinking he's thinking here. Does that make sense to anybody? He went past just the walls. You know? I think the city is probably just a reflection of the nation's relationship with the Lord. It was in disrepair. Obviously. Right. Right. It was broken down and it needed to be started again. Okay. So not only that, but that was just the condition of maybe a deeper problem which the people's lives are still in a mess. Because you, have you ever looked at somebody that lives in a house that you could throw a cat, a cat through the walls and you go, what's wrong with these people? I mean, uh, their house looks like a tornado hit it and you know there's 500 cars in the front in the front you got 500 well i didn't and then there's a few on the side Uh, (laughs) no i I mean you just see some houses and you're like how do people live like that and uh carrie asked me one time i went and visited some people in our church years ago and lived down the road from us and uh uh, they lived in a mobile home. Nothing wrong with mobile homes. I know people have very nice mobile homes. I know people, their, this particular mobile home didn't look really nice. And she goes, what's their house look like on the inside? And I said, you really want to know? I said, it looks like you picked it up, turned it upside down, and shook it real hard. 
like a snow globe and then put it back down. That's what the inside of their house looked like. It did. I mean, I went in their house. They had to take five minutes to clean a spot on on a sofa for me to sit. And I'm like, coming from a house where my wife has everything just perfect, right? Well, but she has it swept. She has it looking. But but anyway, I'm like, there's, you know, where you live kind of shows a little bit about you, about who you are, maybe what condition you're in. And so I think that's what Nehemiah is looking at. And he's like, guys, I see the condition. I hear about the condition of the walls the condition of the temple, which is a reflection on really the condition of the people. And really, you guys need some help. <laughs> and I think that's what Nehemiah saw. So just bear with me with that. But I think he really wanted to, he, he wanted it, the nation of Israel, the temple, the walls, the city, the worship to be intended the way that God wanted it. And I think he saw that and it wasn't there. That's my point. So we'll look, we'll keep looking at that as we go through. And so, um, basically what he wanted was a great reset too. He goes, I need to get, we need to get Jerusalem and Israel back to where the condition that God wanted them. And if you think about Solomon and his, and his kingdom, that wasn't even close to that, was it? I mean, Solomon, when he was reigning in Israel, was like the pharaohs or, or, or the Persian people. I mean, he was at top of the top. But he just disobeyed God and it went downhill. But anyway, I think Nehemiah saw that. And uh, he goes, you know what, God, you, you put it in my heart. I see, the, I see the situation. I want to go back and help. So that's what I'm seeing in the book. of, of And I'll expound on that a little bit more. So. Page number two, or page number one of Nehemiah, the Jerusalem Project, lesson one. Okay? So, Nehemiah meets the king in chapter two, one through eight. And I'm going to read that, and, and I'm going to try to get through this too, because I think last time I did not get through it. Uh, but Nehemiah chapter two, and I want to focus on him going to the king after he hears all this. And I'm going to read one through eight. Yeah, he's been prayed up and he's going into the king and he prays even during the meeting with the king. And it came to pass, verse 1, in the month of Nisan, Nisan, and that is four months later after he first heard it. So he's had some time to be praying about this and thinking about it. In the year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him and I took up wine and gave it, it unto the king and now it had been... Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thou countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? Now the king's paying attention to him, number one, because he's the one testing the wine. <laughs> okay. So he's going to kind of keep an eye on him. But number two, it's more than that. Like I said, obviously he had some kind of a personal relationship with the king. And so the king just sensed it. He goes, Dude... Uh, What's, what's wrong with you, man? Why, 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 are you, why are you so down in the mouth, you know? Why, why are you so sad? And then, the guy answers his own question here. It's kind of interesting. He says, why is thou countenance sad, seeing that thou art not sick? And then he answers it. This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. And then he goes, I was sore afraid. So he's like, oh boy. I didn't really want to spill my, you know, show this, but it's coming out. Verse 3. And he said, and said unto the king, let the king live forever. 
Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchers, lieth waste and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. So right in the middle of this, he prays. So have you ever done that? Have you ever been driving down the road or something's happening and they're right in the middle of something? It's like, okay, I'm going to do a real quick prayer. You know, I don't care if it's like five seconds. God, give me the words to say to this person. God, help me out here. God, do this. Right in the middle of it. He does that, okay? So he says, so I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the kings, you notice it was a really quick prayer. If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me into Judah and unto the city of the fathers uh, of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. Okay, and so and let me keep going. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, for how long shall thy journey be, and will, will thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Moreover, I said unto the king, if it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may con- convey me over till I come unto Judah. Now let me stop for a minute. Okay, so he's he's already prayed up, just like Sharon, like you said. He's already been prayed up. It's been four months, and he's already thinking through this. He's already got a plan in his mind. And when the king asks him, man, he is ready. He is. He's kind of like Ezra. Ezra was a ready scribe. Nehemiah was a ready cupbearer. Hey, I could use that. Okay, we'll put that down. But he was a ready cupbearer, and so he he has a plan already picked out or or figured out to tell the king. Okay, and so I want to go back and I want to dwell on this for just a minute. In verse 5, And I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, and to the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build it. What's the it? Everybody assumes it's the wall. But it's more than the wall. It's the the whole whole enchilada. It's not just the city. It's the whole, it's, it's, it's the city, it's the worship, it's the, it's the, you know, getting them back to where God wants them at. You know, somebody has that song, I don't know if it's, uh, Smith has the song, Getting Back to the Heart of Worship. We're getting back to, I'm getting back to the heart of worship. Who sings that? Michael Smith? You know, there's, have you heard the song? I'm getting back to the heart of worship. That's where he was at. He goes, I want to get them back to the heart of worship. And that was the key part. The walls are just to help them get to the worship part. Now think about that. Getting the walls built up wasn't the main main goal. They needed the walls built to get back to the worship, to get back to everything being the way it needed to be. The walls are just an outside dilemma. You know, it'd be like it'd be like buying a house and it doesn't have a front door. What's the first thing you're going to do, Mark? You're going to put a front door on that dude, aren't you? How many has anybody ever went to sleep with the front doors broke or the front door went off the hinges? Wasn't it? Wasn't that? Uh, I think it was in the, the the TV show in the middle. Somebody took the door off the front. Remember that? And I think it was like, or it fell off the hinges. That's what it was. I think the hinges were loose and it finally fell off the front door. And the lady on there was like, I'm gonna, and she goes, nope, I'm not fixing this. I fix everything else, duct tape everything else up. I'm not fixing it. Kept telling, 
kept telling her son and, and husband, you need to fix that door. And they wouldn't fix it. And the next thing you know, like deer are walking in the house. I mean, <laughs> anything could happen. It's like, I can't believe going to bed at night with the front door open. I'm like, I just don't compute. I'm like, I, I don't care if I have to get plywood and, you know, and screw it down. I'm like, I'm not leaving the door open. But that's kind of where Nehemiah is at. He's like, it's not, it's going to be more than the door. That's just the starting point, okay? And so Nehemiah, uh, he sees this and he says, he says again, he goes, send me back that I may build it. And so again, what is the it? It's, it's the city. It's the whole thing. Because he wants to get them back where where they're in the place that God wants them to be. Okay, and so we're going to talk about this, and I think I talked about it a little bit last time we were here. Uh, Nehemiah's meeting. Okay, and it mentions here. And I, somebody tell me what verse it says about the queen. Does it say that anywhere? Verse six. Okay, thank you for that. It says, and the king said unto me. And it has in parentheses, the queen also sitting by him. That's kind of interesting, because you know what? Normally we don't see anything about the queen. Which kind of leads me to believe, and, and I've read this also, that that this could have been Esther being the queen. Could have. It's just interesting that they put parentheses in here, and the queen was sitting there too. <laughs> Let's just say it was the queen, Esther, and this is happening in her court with the, with King. Uh, do you see why maybe the King would be a real favorable to to send him back? Now I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's true, but it would it, it, it makes there's there's a reason why he put God put that in here. You know, have you ever seen God doesn't waste space in His book? There's a reason why it says, and the queen also sitting by him. So he must have had a relationship with the queen also. Whether it was, whether it was Queen Esther or not, I don't know. Uh, either way, he had a relationship with her also. So anyway, uh, I, I put this in your notes. A parenthesis is a sentence or certain words inserted into a sentence which interrupt the sense or natural connection of words, but serves to explain or to qualify the sense of the principal sentence. So in other words, the parenthesis is there to give some meaning into that sentence or into the, the statement that's going on. Okay? And so God in His providence sought to put that the queen was there also. She had to play a role in it. Okay? She played a role in it. Okay? And so, uh, at the time period, I said, it was four months after the upsetting news in Jerusalem. That's in your handout. I don't know if you have that in your one from a, a month ago. But, uh, or had it filled out, let's put it that way. So at page number two of lesson one, it says the time period was four months after the upsetting news on Jerusalem. Now, so he had four months before he went in and, and saw the king. And so the king sees that Nehemiah is sad and declares that it's nothing but sorrow of heart. So like I said, sometimes it's like, it's like when Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and Jesus gives him an answer to a question that Nicodemus didn't even ask. He goes, you gotta be born again. And if you go back and look at it, you're like, why did he tell him that? Because he didn't ask. 
It's just like Jesus said right off the bat. You gotta be born again. And then, G- and then Nicodemus jumps on and says, okay, how? So Jesus gives him the answer before he even asked it. And here, the king asks the question and he turns around and answers it before, before even, uh, Nehemiah has a chance. And so it kind of tells me, and we're going to see that, that, you know, God's behind the scenes in this, kind of like with Esther. He's got Nehemiah there, the king is there, and God is behind the scenes pulling the strings on the king. Okay? And so, uh, and then next thing is the king asked Nehemiah what should be done. And you know, Nehemiah didn't, uh, post his foot around on that. <laughs> it's like he had a plan. Well, this is what I, I would like to do. Okay? And, uh, the king asked Nehemiah, okay, so what should be done here? And then ne- and Nehemiah just jumps to action and he has this plan. I was thinking about that this morning. And he was truthful with his plan. He was, this plan was of God and he's truthful, but I was sitting there thinking of a movie. Uh, Carrie's like shaking her head again. And I remember this movie, The Blues Brothers, where Dan Aykroyd is kind of in the same situation, but he's conning the person instead of telling them the truth because he wants an answer. And I'm sitting there thinking that uh, he had left Carrie Fisher at the altar in that movie. And they're almost to get back to Chicago. And she's standing in front of them coming in. They were coming in a back way or something. And she's standing right through the door they have to go through. And she's sitting there with a, a rocket launcher, I think, on her or something. And she's mad. She's getting ready to kill him. And he sits down and he goes, oh, and he goes, let me tell you why I didn't make it to the wedding. And he starts listing this, listing, and it's all baloney. And then he kind of goes, he, and he's like, oh, I'm just so sorry. And then he kind of looks up at her like, are you buying this? And then, <laughs> you remember that? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I saw that and I'm like, that is total opposite of Nehemiah. Nehemiah's like, no, I, I got, I'm glad you asked, King. Here's what I think should be done. And I mean, it was for the up and up. And so he's, he's kind of watching the king too, because I'm sure if he would have got the sense that the king was not ready, he would have probably just toned it down. But I think God, he kind of, he kind of was looking at the king like, are you, you really want to know? I mean, are you really asking me this? And he's trying to look him at kind of like John Belushi's did. You know, like, you know, am I, am I fooling her yet? She buying this? And I think he's looking at the king and he goes, okay. And then the king's ready. And he's like, hey, I prayed this anyway. So God's given me the door. So I'm going to go through it. So the king asked Nehemiah what should be done. And he has a list. And so Nehemiah reveals his heart to him. A prayer's given, just like us, t- talks about, and we go back and look at Romans 12, 12. It's in your handout there. I wrote that down there. And notice that Nehemiah has a plan ready, and it's huge. Send me to Jerusalem to build the wall. But of course, we know it's more than that. And he had time, he had a time that he was going to leave. He had a time that he was going to return. He goes, give me letters for the governors to give me safe passage and give me a letter to your lumberman, by the way, to give me the supplies. Now that's pretty bold, isn't it? Because that's basically what he says. And notice that the king request, or gives him his request. So let's go back and look at that. Uh, verse seven. Verse says, moreover, I said unto the king, if it please the king, uh, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river that they may convey me over till I come to Judah. So he goes, basically, hey, can you send, give me a letter 
to give me safe passage to get back to Jerusalem. And not only does the king give him letters, he sends some guys with him as a escort to get him there. And so every time they would go across a different province, they would give the letter to whoever in charge of that province, and not only would they allow safe passage, they probably put soldiers with him to get him back. Because you don't want to mess up, you know, you don't want anything to happen to the king's men while he's in your province. So if the guy's smart, he's like, okay, you got a letter from the king, and it's for safe passage back there. I want to help you get there, and I'm even going to give you some guys to help you get back there. So he's getting all kinds of guys given to him as an escort to get back, and I'm assuming these guys, you know, they probably had the swords and the, the you know, the spears and all the things they needed to protect them. And verse 8, it says, Now a letter unto Asap, the keeper of the king's forest, that's the lumber guy, but I want you to pay attention to what he asked for, because this will kind of give you an idea where uh, Nehemiah is going with with all this. Okay? And a letter unto Asap, the keeper of the king's force, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appertain to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. There's like three different areas there. Not just the wall. And if we break that down, he's basically saying, can you give me some timber that I can use on number one, the temple? Because that's the, the palace or the house. The walls and for houses for the people. Okay. You think about the four months between his finding out from Hananiah and going to the king. He had to spend all of that... Most of that time, not only in prayer, but also planning. How much do I need? How much do I need? How much do I need? Who do I need to help? I mean, all those things. But he's really, it's really neat that he's that person. He's that detailed. Yeah, right. And he probably doesn't know how much. He said, I need timber for the temple. If we look at this, temple for the walls and temple for the houses. So see my point when I say he went back to build more than just the walls? It was way more than just the walls. And so that's what we're going to dig into the more we get into it. Um, so it was the wall, the gates, the palace, the temple, and, and also the people's houses. So Nehemiah, after he gets there, he's going to have to find out that he's going to have to even build the people up. He's going to see the situation after he gets there and he's going to have to build the people up. So why was so Nehemiah concerned about Jerusalem? Because God put it on his heart. And he realized what they could be, but he realized they need a lot of work to get there. That's kind of like somebody that just gets saved and we see them come in our church and, and they get saved or maybe they get saved in our church and it's like, you know what? They, they need. There's going to be a lot of work done on this person. Kind of like us. We need to help get them to that point. That's the attitude that Nehemiah had. That's the attitude we need to have. We need to help uh, immature Christians get to become mature Christians. And I know that's that's kind of painful at times. We just look at people and like, oh my gosh, are this baby Christian ever going to grow? But we got to be there and we got to help them get to that point. So this is my last point and I'm going to stop. I picked this up from Ray Stewart yesterday, Mark. He made a comment. He says, if you want to do something for God, you better do it now because the time is running out. And he said that. And I thought, you know what? That's pretty profound because 
we are waiting for a trumpet pretty quick to pull us out of here. So if anybody wants to do a work for God, they better get on the bandwagon because time is getting short. And that should remind us the same thing. We're waiting for the judgment seat of Christ or looking forward to that. You know, We don't have a lot of time to get rewards. We can't put it off. We need to be doing it now. So that's my point. If you want to do something for God, you better not put it off. You better do it now. Because there will be a time when we get to heaven and there will be no more witnessing. There will be no more helping Christians be discipled. There will be no none of that. It will be over. And we need to cherish the time that we have now. So let's go ahead and pray and we'll get out of here. How was the men's conference? Uh, it was very well. It was, yeah, we went and uh, it was about... Uh, you know, trying to bring up men, trying to be men. Um, so it was really good. We had several guys speak. Uh, Brady spoke uh, a devotion, which was really good. Mitch spoke a little bit. He did really good. And I thought both of them, I'm just watching those guys mature. And, you know, and you get to that point at the very beginning, and you're like, man, are these, is these guys ever going to mature at all? And now I'm, we're slowly starting to see them come up. Because, you know, we're getting older. The time is now. They've got to get to that point where they need to be the mature Christian that God wants them to be. And they got to have the opportunity to do that. And so both of them did really good jobs yesterday. And uh, Brad McGuire preached. Uh, Ray Stewart preached. Uh, Jeremy Bonison did. And it was a nice, it was a good time. It was a good thing. So glad we were there. So let's go ahead and pray. And we'll move on. Father in heaven, just thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that everyone here today that's either here or listening to this tape, Lord, that we would have the attitude of Nehemiah, that we would see things that need to be accomplished and uh, we would see people for uh, what they need to be, situations that they need to be, Lord, and that we would just be builders, builders to help build people up in you uh, to with their walk with you and that we would walk along these people Lord in our church that that need to grow and that we would uh, do what it takes to get the worship going in people's lives as well as ours so I pray for that this morning I pray for the situation in the Middle East I pray that people come to know Christ as a result of it and I just ask that you give us a great day in Christ's name Amen